It's good to be here with you. My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and uh, it's my privilege, as always, to be worshiping with you guys. Love you guys very, very much. So we find ourselves uh, today starting a new series. Uh, we're in the new. We're in uh, the season, the the Christian season of Epiphany. So we've gone through Advent and the twelve days of Christmas. And uh, on Friday, we, we moved to Epiphany, where the church begins to look not at the birth of Jesus, but at the, the life of Jesus, the rev- revelation of who God is through Christ's life, heart, miracles, and teaching. And uh, Epiphany means a sudden and stunning revelation. And that is what Jesus is of the Father's heart. What an amazing thing that you don't have to guess at what God is like. If you have questions about what God is like, Christ came in a way that could be seen and heard and touched. A person who could, be, who could show us love and uh, reveal God's heart to us. And one of the ways he did that was through his teaching. Jesus was an amazing teacher. I'm trying to think of other teachers who, for the last 2,000 years, whose teachings are as well known as Jesus' teachings. And he crafted stories. He was a storyteller. Jesus was an artist. When you think about all of the stories that Jesus tells and Depending on which religious scholar you talk to, there's either 30 or 70 of them. You know, Christians can argue about everything, and and, and even how many stories are there in the Gospels. But Jesus was a storyteller, and so did you ever think, where did the stories come from? When did he write these stories? He thoughtfully crafted these parables that he tells that have endured. Uh, Christians know these parables. Non-Christians know these parables. And they have directed morality and affected lives for thousands of years. Um, And so we're going to be looking for the next few months at Jesus' parables. And my fear is that some of you are like, oh no. Jesus' parables. I know the parables. And what I would say to you is watch out. Because these parables are like God himself. They are good, but they are not safe. And the reason that they have stuck in people's minds for 2,000 years or more is because there's power in the engine of these little stories power to convict and to expose and ultimately to upend those who believe that they are familiar with Jesus. So familiar that in all of our religious activity, we forget that the Jesus that we follow came to turn the world upside down. He surprised and burst the expectations of everyone he met. And he's meant to burst our expectations 
and to upend our lives. Parables were one of the shocking ways that Jesus would get the attention of his disciples. Parables aren't illustrations to make things easier. They actually make things a little harder by requiring us to exercise our faith and our imagination and our minds. They keep us on our toes. And for those who are willing to unpack them and live with them, they hold these vivid pictures of the Father's hearts. Jesus says they hold the very secrets to the kingdom of God. The question is, friends, will you have ears to hear? Really hear? Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we open your book and read your stories, I pray that the power that is in these seeds would penetrate our hearts and the kingdom of God would be the the result, the fruit, the surprising, wonderful, glorious, and good kingdom of God. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today we begin in Mark chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at the parable of the sower, which is where you start when you want to know about parables, because it's a parable about parables. It's a parable about how parables work. And so, hey, if you look at any sermon series on the parables, this is where you start, man. So Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 25, we'll be walking through um, the text together. I'm going to start in verse 1. And again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, dot, dot, dot. So we come to this story in midstream, and we need to remind ourselves of where it comes in the life of Jesus. This is very early on in his ministry. He's come out publicly. He's began to preach and minister and to proclaim the arrival of the kingdom of God in himself. He's begun to heal, cast out spiritual evil from people's Lives, people have been helped, healed, taught. And early on in his ministry, Jesus is a hot commodity. He is drawing huge crowds to come and hear from him. And even early on, he's also, it's not just love that's being cultivated, but he's, uh, there's people out to get Jesus. Religious leaders and authorities who are threatened by, uh, by Christ in so many different ways. People already threatening in the gospel of Mark to kill him. And all of these people are a part of these giant crowds. Crowds so large that Jesus can no longer teach in a synagogue. 
He has to go out onto the Sea of Galilee because your voice travels more on the water. It's like a national or natural amphitheater. And he's teaching these ginormous crowds. What a time to bring clarity to who he is. As people are wondering, who is Jesus? What is this kingdom of God? And what does he do? He tells a story. Verses 3 through 4. Listen. Behold. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some sea fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. Some seed fell on rocky ground. Where it didn't have much soil. And immediately it sprang up. Since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And the other seeds fell onto good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, Do you have ears? He who has ears, let them hear. And that's all he said. Amen. And then he prayed. He wasn't the only religious teacher to use parables. Parables and stories are the primary way that religious teachers from all kinds of ancient traditions taught. What was unique about Jesus is he didn't explain it. He let it lie. This is how Jesus capitalizes on a moment to be crystal clear with this great crowd, this diverse group of people. It's so puzzling. We value clarity, being clear and concise. Why muddy the water with the farmer story. And the disciples don't get it either. They're like, Jesus, this is a PR disaster. And so they ask Jesus, why are you speaking to them in parables? Verse 10. And when he was alone, so everyone else had left, Those around him with the twelve. So it's not just the twelve. Some others stayed. Remember that. They asked him about the parables. And Jesus said to them, To you, the ones who stayed and asked, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But to those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. Well, I'm glad that Jesus answered their question about riddles and puzzles with a riddle and puzzle. It seems like a very Jesus thing to do. They ask him, why do you talk in parables and what he does? is he quotes a very famous section 
from the Old Testament. And he says, if you want to know why I speak in parables, you need to think about the ministry of the prophet Isaiah. Now, Isaiah was a prophet who was given the call to preach warnings to an Israel who was far gone, hard-hearted, not paying attention to God, though they thought they were. They thought they were seeing, but they were spiritually blind. They thought that they were about God's agenda, but they were so far from it. And God sends Isaiah in a last-ditch effort to get Israel's attention, and he asks him to speak in a very peculiar way. God says to his prophet, this is what I want you to tell them. This is in Isaiah chapter 6. You all, you're never going to listen to me. It's a foregone conclusion. Y'all are terrible listeners. You will never perceive what I have to say. Now, is that God determining how these people are going to respond to him in the end? Did God like foreordain that they weren't going to listen? I don't think that that's what's going on in the text at all. And to illustrate what I think is happening in Isaiah's ministry, I'm just going to let you in to a regular day at the Los family household. And I live with two rebel cave people named Eleanor and Abel. And imagine me in the kitchen asking them to come in and take care of the dishes. But they have left the table and they're in the living room dawdling or bickering, really doing anything but listening to their father. And imagine that I ask them once, twice, three times. Now it's been 10 minutes and I have a choice. I could ask a fourth and fifth time. I could turn up the heat and just yell at them, which might scare them into obedience, but might also fill them with shame. Or I could do something like this. You can imagine me walking into the living room, slow clapping. Woo! Doing the whistle thing. I'm not going to do it because my mic's on. You slow clap and just go, yeah, good job, guys. And they go, what? What happened? I said, I just got a phone call. I said, Dad, who called you? I said, the Olympic Commission on Children's Behaviors. They go, wow, that sounds pretty official. What did they say? Well, they said they, they just issued gold medals. And you guys won the gold medal. <gasps> we won the gold medal in what? In being the worst listeners. <laughs> in the whole world. Good job, kiddos. Now that's a risky move. Because it can heighten the rebellion. <laughs> or it can diffuse the situation. Oh, dad. There's no Olympic Commission on children's behavior. I get it. We'll go clean up the stuff. Isaiah's ministry was to walk down the streets of Jerusalem slow clapping. Woo! You guys did it! 
Israel, you did it. And people are coming out the windows. What did we do? Out of all the generations of Israel, you are the worst listeners of all. And listen, there is stiff competition. There are generations that didn't even get into the promise. Like the whole book of Judges. But you all take the cake. No matter how much I warn you, you are not going to listen to me. And there are some people, most people in Israel, still didn't listen. It hardened them further. They simply didn't care. But a remnant woke up. Oh, I think he's right. I think he's calling us to wake up and listen. In the Old Testament, when God's people got too familiar with him, when their hearts were so hardened, they were almost impenetrable. When they got into that state, he would send prophets who would speak to them in stories and in parables, in ironic speech to try to shake up the true followers of the Lord who are ready for a change, to shake them out of their apathy, and to expose the frauds who are happy just with the way that things were. And Jesus says, you want to know what the parables are like? It's like Isaiah. It's like that moment again in Israel. That's what I'm on about. Parables are like that. They aren't illustrations that make things easier. They actually muddy the waters. They require you to think for yourself. In some ways, they put the ball in your own court. They require you to exercise faith, understanding, to have an open heart. They require us to participate in what the storyteller is doing because you have to interpret. Why is he telling me this story? Am I the seed? Am I the weed? Am I the wheat? Am I the farmer? Am I the poor? Am I poor Lazarus? Or am I the rich man in hell? And you put, it forces you to think and wait and worry (laughs) and ultimately ask. The parables have this dual function. Because if people's hearts are open, they draw people in to ask questions, to seek and search, to ask, seek and knock. And the people's whose hearts are already hard, it exposes and reinforces that they didn't care much about the things of God in the first place. So for those whose hearts are hard, imagine these crowds. Go back to the crowds, the diverse crowds of people. Some are there who already hate Jesus. What did they think when he started talking about birds and seeds and farmers? They're like, who cares? I knew I wanted to kill this guy in the first place. What is he doing? He's not a great teacher. And there were some on the fence, though. And for those on the fence, this is requiring something of them. It's messing with them. It's 
It's forcing them to ask, seek, and knock. Will they come to Jesus and show some measure of commitment? Or are they there and they're just, you know, they're just there for a little bit of uplift, a little bit of teaching? But do they really want a renovation of their souls? For those who do, the message is going to mess with them. And maybe they'll come back the next day. And maybe they'll come back the next day until finally they sit with, they wait long enough to ask Jesus himself, what did you mean? And what, which soil am I? And then Jesus reveals the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. The parables sift out who is really listening and who's just there for the donuts and who is hard-hearted in the first place. And what's amazing about he Jesus is such a brilliant teacher because he's talking about what parables are about after teaching a parable about what parables are about. And so now he explains the parable. Verses 13 through 20. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? He's saying this parable is the key to all the other parables. And he goes on. The sower sows the word, the message of the kingdom. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. A famous story, a farmer indiscriminately scattering seeds on different kinds of soils. And the seed is the word, and the soils are your heart and my heart. It represents different kinds of listening. And there are path hearers, and the path is hard. It doesn't penetrate. It never had a chance in the first place. People who are so hard-hearted to the message, they deflect and dismiss it before it even has a chance to, to, to get in there. And then there are rocky listeners, gravel listeners. It goes down a little bit, but there's no depth to their hearts. It's just shallow commitment. It's a shallow way of listening and following Jesus because the minute following Jesus costs you anything, the minute there's any measure of persecution or embarrassment for being a backwards Christ follower or whatever in our culture, you just leave it behind. It's just shallow. 
Do you have ears to hear? And then there are the thorny listeners. They listen for a while, but there's the thing about their garden is it the kingdom of God isn't the only thing growing. There's also these weeds, competitions, wor- worldly worries and worldly pursuits that so easily choke out whatever good the kingdom could bring into their life. The, the sparkle and wealth of material things, it just suffocates the kingdom of God. Do you have ears to hear? And finally, there's the true and fruitful listeners who receive the word deep into themselves where it does its proper work of bearing fruit, a great harvest, 30, 60, and 100-fold. What seems to separate the different kinds of listeners is the amount of effort that they put into listening and obeying. They are like the disciples who stick around after everyone's gone to ask Jesus, what did this all mean? Apparently what we lack in understanding, and we all lack understanding, Jesus' disciples lacked understanding, but what we lack in understanding we can make up for in asking questions. The true listeners are those who stay, who crowd around Jesus. And this is what Jesus says he wants, people who ask and seek and knock, who relentlessly question, who sit with Jesus' words and ponder them like an old friend that you know but you don't really know. And you're, you're asking questions and you're getting to know them and you're chewing and you're digesting, getting to know greater clarity and depth of understanding because you sense that there is beauty and truth and love underneath the surface, just underneath the surface of what's been said. Jesus' parables sift out those who want to hear from those who are hard of hearing and who merely want to be entertained and see the new rabbinic celebrity. Those hearers eventually scatter. And as challenging as that is, Jesus lets them go. One of the things that's interesting about the text is the freedom that Christ gives people to be where they're at. He puts the ball in people's courts. There's freedom given, a dignity and respect if you want to listen or not. At the end of a lot of these stories, including ours, Jesus says, "He, if you have ears, hear. That means you can walk away if you like. You can listen if you like. Profound dignity and respect being given here. And as a result of this, most, and you need to hear this, most of the crowds go home. Only a few stay. And he lets them go. They can move on to the things that they think are more interesting and important. They can be impatient. They can be bored. They can be uninterested. I say that because some of us have trouble letting certain individuals go down the road on their journey for a while. But the Lord Jesus doesn't seem to be as concerned as we are that some people don't like to listen to him. 
If you're a church-going person in America right now, there's all these statistics that say that people are leaving the church in droves. And Christians everywhere, Christian leaders especially, are up in arms trying to figure out what we have to do to get people to stay. We need new music. We need smoke machines. No, we need old music. We need to start chanting psalms. We need to meet in homes. People hate institutions. Let's start a new movement where it's the home church model. It's like, no, we need more. We need the institution and the beauty and to reclaim the goodness of the church. We need to be more outward faced and conversant with culture. No, we need to keep our heads down and be more about ancient practice. We need to care more about ordinary lives and where people are. No, people want meaning. We need to be calling people to extraordinary acts of service. And everybody's trying to to figure it out. And here's the thing. Every generation since Jesus had tried to figure out why people don't care about God. And Jesus is just saying, that's how it's always been. Out of all the crowds coming to him, he's the discerner of hearts. He's the exposer of hearts. And there are always lots of people around who are there for all kinds of reasons. And Jesus is content for a time being open-handed with it all. We got statistics this week. The elders read a set of statistics about church attendance declined since the pandemic. And in every de- demographic, man, the pandemic did a number. It doesn't matter if you're, you're married, if you're older, if you're younger. But there were three groups in particular of which it had a profound effect. Singles, people who identified as progressives, and young people. And, uh, I mean, huge percentages of folks who used to attend church who aren't anymore. And when I saw that, you know, at first I was like, we need a smoke machine for sure. (laughs) Just like behind, billowing out while I preach and fire. And then, you know, and then I thought, uh, and then I remembered. So C.S. Lewis tells this story. He was teaching at, I can't remember whether it was Oxford or Cambridge, but he was, they had compulsory chapel. So the students had to go to chapel. And then they decided that chapel should no longer be compulsory. And what happened? Nobody went to chapel anymore. Attendance plummeted and people were freaking out about the the state of the church in England and the decline of Christianity. We're in decline, oh no. And what Lewis said was, no, This this is what it always was. We just now see the reality. People weren't coming because they wanted to And when you remove the incentive, only the ones who want to be there will be there. And what you want is the real measure. What do you want? Do you want the things of God? And that's what's happening with the the Lord Jesus. He discerns that there's people with a lot of different desires out there. And he wants to 
make sure that the people around him are the people who want to be there. And so he tells them riddles and puzzles to try to weed it all out. It's very gracious and kind. Jesus' stories are designed to mess with you, to determine whether you want to know him or not. And if you want to move on, he'll let you. But if you stick around, he wants to show you the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. It ends with a promise. Just a few more verses. Verses 21 through 23. And Jesus said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? Well, first let's just say that Jesus is teaching about parables by, by using parables. It's awesome. So he said, a lamp is brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, this is an interesting little statement because Jesus uses the lamp thing to talk about the light in us that we shine out to the world. But that's not how he uses that image here. And I have to, you know, sometimes our English translations, as wonderful as they are, get things wrong. Our translation says, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? But in the Greek, it's not an indefinite article. It's a definite article that's used. The lamp is the subject of the sentence. And so what it's saying is, when the lamp arrives, is it put under a basket? The lamp when, who is the lamp? It's Jesus. When Jesus comes on the scene, is his light going to be hidden in riddles and puzzles forever? Or will one day, what Jesus has been saying, will it be vindicated and will be the lights turned on and everyone recognize that this Jesus is the center of all the world? That's what he's saying. You may be you may seem like you're in a small enclave now and everybody else is doing something else, but one day the lights are going to get turned on and everyone in the world is going to know that you made the right choice. That's what he's saying. Um, And then next he says to them, in verse 24 he says, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For the one who has more will be given. And to the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And so he says, with the, he's still talking about how we listen. To the degree that you let the light of Jesus into your world. Even if you have a little bit of interest. It's a great promise. He says, if you just have a little bit of interest in Jesus... You're saying, Jesus, it's been a hard year. I only have a desire to desire you. I don't even have like the true desire. I desire a lot of other things, but I, have a, I just have a twinkling of a desire to desire you. What would you like me to do? He says, you come to me with that. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I'm going to give you some light and more will be added to you. You just come with a little, I'm going to give you a lot of revelation. 
And then come to me with that new found revelation and the new questions you have. And I'm going to give you even more. And I'm going to give you even more until the lights come on and you finally realize how wealthy you are in Christ. All the riches of the kingdom of God. For those who have, more will be given. If you have an open mind, if you have an open heart, even a little bit of openness, and you come to Christ... He'll just peel back. He'll open the doors wide because he wants to come in. But if you're not interested, what you have will be taken away because you didn't want it in the first place. (laughs) The promise comes in two forms. If you have a little, it's enough. Just the desire to desire, it's enough. Then linger, ask, seek, and knock. But if you're not interested, then the invitation is... You see, but you don't perceive. You hear, but you don't understand. You don't really want forgiveness or healing. You're doing fine without God. Have what you want. In both cases, he gives us what we want. And so at the end, the question for us is, what do you want? Do you have ears to hear? And I have two people I want to talk to. There's people who have a distorted picture of Jesus, whose hearts are pretty hard to the truth of Christianity. And maybe some of the reasons why your heart has become hardened to it are legitimate. What I would ask for you to consider is wiping the slate clean for this sermon series. And let these parables reveal Jesus to you as if it was the first time you've heard of him. Let them be your tutors and see if there's anything that surprises you. And for most of us, though, I fear that we've become too comfortable with Jesus. And that when it comes to the soil stuff, we're all over. We're a mixed bag of humanity just like those crowds. And Jesus is going to try to sift and sort Will we have ears to hear? Let me pray. Jesus, you are the, 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 the puzzle giver, the riddle maker, the great teacher and discerner of hearts. And uh, in telling these parables, You aren't always in comfort mode. Sometimes you're in challenge mode. You're trying to get in to the places where we've hardened our hearts. You're trying to penetrate our inner life to the places of our desires, to the place where we need forgiveness. You're trying to stir up the inner longings of our heart, that place where we know that there's more. More to life, more to love, more change to be had. And you're trying to go deep. You don't want us to stay in the shallows. You call us into the deep in these parables. And I pray that we would all have, there would be a freshness about our ears. That you would dig out ears for us, as it says in Psalm 40, so that we might listen and truly hear. 
Because Jesus, you are surprising. Jesus, you are wonderful. Jesus, you are life itself. And many of us need to hear afresh just who you are. And so help us to be like the disciples who stay and wrestle and ask and seek and knock. And as we do that, would you reveal the secrets of the kingdom to us? We give you thanks and praise in Christ's name. Amen.